Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. This week's guest is not just another boring LinkedIn coach, but is Arielle Lee. Arielle started her career in the automotive sales industry prior to moving to the finance side of the business. Now, she helps others increase engagement, starts conversations with their networks, and build meaningful relationships with the goal of turning them into inbound leads in your DMs. We had such a great conversation. We jumped right in talking about the importance of building personal brand, then dove into the early years where she learned how to quickly build relationships due to constantly moving to different schools. In this episode, we also discussed lessons learned from being a mother at 19, how to go from someone picking your brain to getting paid doing consulting, how your vibe attracts your tribe, personal versus company brands, Arielle's Networking 101 class, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Arielle Lee. Arielle, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, Tyler. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. And this is another show brought to you by Personal Branding in LinkedIn. And that's what we're going to be jumping into today, right? Um, met Arielle. You know, we have a lot of mutual friends like our friend Rich Cardona and Joel Aldi. So shout out to both of them. But <laughs> Arielle, to you, number one, what does personal brand even mean before we jump into to your career and who you were growing up to who you are today? So I love that question. And I think because I have a very different approach to it than most people do, um, there are a lot of people, and it seems on LinkedIn in particular, that they feel like um, a personal brand has to be something that you're very intentional about crafting or that you have to present yourself as some kind of subject matter expert or thought leader. Um, and I just don't feel that way. My sort of view on personal branding and how it works best is that if you can allow yourself to show up um, on LinkedIn or whatever social media platform you're looking at, exactly like you do in person. So that when people aren't surprised, if you're on a Zoom or you run into somebody at a coffee shop, it's all exactly the same. Um, I think that that's the most important piece of it. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons. I think authenticity is key for so many reasons, just from an integrity standpoint. But also, I think the people who are like holding up that mask are the ones that you see burn out. Because I can't think of anything more exhausting than sort of putting on these perfectly polished professional pants every day if it doesn't really fit me, you know? Um, so I, I think if you just show up as exactly who you are, that's the key to personal branding, figuring out how to represent that in-person person on the internet. And, and you know, then, then you got the colors and you got the emojis and other things that make people think of you, but that's not the most important piece of it in my absolutely absolutely and I saw that you have a self-proclaimed uh certification in, in being an emoji user so um that that that's just a little joke that was on uh, on her LinkedIn profile yeah. um <laughs> so that that's really interesting and and to your point too like I don't understand why people some people are afraid of like oh what would I do to to promote my personal brand or I don't know what I would talk about or those people who are putting on a fake face why would you want to lie about the person who you are that's just exhausting yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, they feel like they have to, I don't think it's malicious that they want to be fake. I just think that they, they've been sold this bill of goods that you have to be an expert in something. You only have to talk about one core thing. You have to present this buttoned up image. Um, and I'm just not here for that. I, it wouldn't have worked for me. So yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's learn a little bit more. Obviously you have a big personal brand on LinkedIn, but let's just learn who you, who you are as a person and who you were in your early years as well. So take us back to, uh, to Ariel growing up. What were you like? What was childhood like? And, and what did you think you wanted to do with your career as you were, you were growing up? 
Oh my gosh. So it's a funny question. And I do credit my weirdo childhood now with why I'm sort of decent at making new friends. Um, my mom is the most amazing, loving, caring human in the whole entire world, but she was not the most stable. Um, so we literally moved like every year when I was growing up. The longest that I lived anywhere was four years um, from fourth grade to ninth grade. And so I guess that's five years math not a strong suit, I guess, but, um, but anyway, so we were just moving around a lot. I was chronically the new kid and I was never the cool kid. So I was like, you know, had to figure out a way to relate to this new group of people or figure out where I fit in or how I fit in. And so I joke, I'm like, I can talk to a brick wall. Cause I just was used to, um, having to make connections with new people like that. So that was my entire upbringing. Um, when I, I graduated high school with over a 4.0 GPA. So I went to college just because it was like, this is what you do. This is your right. next step. Um, and I actually got a B in my second semester of college. And I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And I was just like, oh, well, we can't have this. Like I was working two jobs and I felt like I would take a break from college and go back when life was less busy. And like, let's all have a big laugh about life ever being less busy than it is when you're 18 or 19 years old. Right. Um, And so then life just happened from there. I got pregnant and married in that order at 19. Um, and then got into sales. Like that's, that's literally my whole life. That's how I grew up. I've been in sales since I was old enough to have a, a full-time job, but, um, car sales, my high school boyfriend, his uncle owned a small used car lot. And I just remember thinking how cool that was. I just fell in love with that concept. Um, and so that's what prompted me to get into the car business at an early age, just like, well, they live a great life. They have a very nice house. He's always driving fancy cars and which, you know, as a teenager, of course, that's what you see as most important. It turns out those are not the most important things, the nice house and nice cars, but um, that's, that's what prompted it. <laughs> wow, That's really interesting. Before we dive into the used car uh, side of things, because that's, that's a pretty counterintuitive thought process to what people usually see used, uh, used car or the automotive sales industry. That's, it seems like that's one of the biggest stigmas or the negative stigma that people put onto all sales professionals. And, and we'll dive into that as well, but I'd be really curious to hear moving every single year. What kind of lessons did that teach you? Was, did that allow you to, to be able to quickly build rapport and relationships with people that you didn't know previously? That sounds like a, a pretty good business lesson that you may have learned early on. What, what are your thoughts there? I think it did. And it helped me figure out how to relate to different groups of people that I might not have had things in common with just from a, you know, base perspective. Um, I grew up when I was very young in, um, in North Carolina and like Greensboro High Point, but it was more of a metropolitan sort of city atmosphere, very much similar Um to the way that I was being raised with a mom who was kind of like a self-proclaimed hippie. I went to a Quaker school, which is sort of an odd thing where, you know, you call your teachers by your first names. Um, but then my next move immediately after that was to Boone, North Carolina, which is like small town USA. And all those kids had known each other from the very beginning. And um, then one of them 
moved to Woodstock, Georgia, which was also a small town, but just in a different way. So it, yeah, it makes you figure out really quickly how to relate to different groups of people. And I think that that served me, um, served me well in the car business. It serves me well in my current business and on LinkedIn, being able to relate to lots of different kinds of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? B building relationships is sales essentially. So being able to quickly build that rapport and also working with diverse groups, there's no doubt that that helped you later on. So as you're, as you're moving through, I, I really want to dive in before we talk about some of the lessons of, of, uh, of being pregnant at 19, which um, some other previous guests, I don't, do you know Nikki Ivy? Have you familiar with her? Uh, no, I'll have to look her up after this. Yeah, so she she was um, somebody who also uh, had a, uh, was was a teen mother and learned a ton of lessons about sales. So um, that would be you know I had her on a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I guess let's just dive into that before we talk about the car. So pregnant at nineteen, what kind of lessons did that teach you? I'm sure that wasn't easy. Well, and it sort of just confirmed. So I joke I was raised I didn't have much money and my mom was a single mom. My dad's around, like he's not, um, not present by any means. He just didn't live with us. Um, but it was always sort of a, a scramble or a struggle. And that confirmed for me how important it was to be financially successful. Like I, I didn't want to struggle in that same way. Um, and so then when I got pregnant, it was, there was literally like, complications in my pregnancy that looking back on it, I recognized was the result of a doctor not taking me seriously because I was young and I didn't have a lot of money. And um, all of those things that you look at as just sort of what's wrong with our society and the, you know, not impoverished, but like low income areas and the problems that they face. And it just solidified my drive or motivation, whatever you want to call it. Like I am going to have a different life than the life that I grew up in. Um, and it, and I've sort of, it's tough and I don't want to skip ahead, but it, you come full circle, right? Like in, in the beginning, my entire motivation was money. I just want to make a lot of money. I just want to get to the point in my life where I don't care or have to stress about money. Um, and then you get to that point and then it's like, oh, well, maybe money is not the not the reason for everything. Maybe it just allows the freedom that allows you to make different choices, but that's a, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, well, let's, <laughs> let's stay on that right now. You know, I, it's so funny. Um, I, yeah, I used, to, I would always try to stay really chronological in these interviews, but yeah. really it's, it's my show. So we, we could do whatever the hell we want here. Right. Um, so, so let's, let's dive into that. I mean, so most people, you know, I, I'm very similar to you. I come, you know, I have really hardworking parents, you know, my dad's in construction. My mom's a school secretary for, I don't know, 20 years at this point, coming from a very small town as well. You know, we gra I graduated with, is it 120 kids, maybe oh, wow. something like that. So really, really small. Um, so I completely understand, you know, want to get out and, and try to make money and, and all of that. But I completely understand where you're coming from. And I, we're nowhere near where we want to be from a financial perspective at this point, which I don't think you ever could be at that point. But, um, <laughs> but obviously, there was a point for you where you mentioned, I was really into the money and then I wanted to, uh, you know, at what point did that switch happen and where did the motivation go from money to what at that point? Dude, there's just a snap where it's just like, I have been so hyper-focused on making a great living that I have forgotten to make a good life. And that was sort of the, like, okay, this doesn't make sense anymore. And that was, you know, the car business is, um, was really good to me. And as a, college dropout was able to make a very nice living. 
Um, but I was working 65 or 70 hours a week from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. six days a week and missed out on a good chunk of my daughter. You know, thankfully we have my um, husband's parents always watch my daughter. So it's like she was with family. It's not like she was in daycare all these hours or after school programs or whatever. Um, but I really missed out on a lot of stuff um, just because you can't, the car business is not scheduled. You know, in, in my life right now, I have, I'll have a meeting at 11 and a meeting at two, and I might squeeze in one more at four and it's all very structured. And, you know, that's not to say that stuff doesn't come up, but in the car business, if somebody walks in and, you know, it's a fire that you have to put out, you are stuck there. It doesn't matter if your kid's got a violin concert at school down the road. So um, those were sort of the realizations that I came to. Like I've been scrambling to make all this money to make sure that everybody has a good life and it's not, <laughs> it's not a good life. Right. No, that that's fantastic. But I think that self-awareness is really important yeah. as well. And I think that there's a lot of people, me included, who have those realizations now with the pandemic, right? You know, I was going into the office driving 45 minutes to and from the office, and then I would have an hour lunch. That was two and a half, three hours of my day that I wasn't with my family. And that's actually what caused me to leave my job, even though I was thriving um, because people were moving back into the office. So it's really important to have those realizations, right? I mean, and it sounds like family is really important to you. So I'm really glad that we, you know, you have that, um, you know, that is a, a motivator as well. So, okay. So pregnant at 19, you, so did you, you dropped out of college then as a result of being, uh, of having your child, correct? I did. So I, um, and I'm trying to remember, honestly, it's, I'm, I'm not close to 19 anymore. So it's been a minute, <laughs> but um, I took off like the normal maternity leave for poor people, I think is six weeks. You mentioned you're on paternity leave. That was definitely not a thing for my husband. Yeah. Shout, out, shout out to Dooley as well. Dooley yes, actually is a, Dooley. They have a 13 week <laughs> parental leave, even for parents. Epic. Even I started uh, and I was like, during my interview process, like my wife is ready to go. You sure I get 13 weeks? They're like, Incredible. yeah. So, so shout out to that. Shout out to all the companies who have those paternity leaves. And, and sorry, jump jump back into your how you no, said what, poor, so poor I people. Think, <laughs> paternity I think I took six leave. weeks off, which is just like that's that's what you do when your job doesn't provide leave and um and you don't have the income to sustain it otherwise. And um at that time, I was working front desk at a hotel, so I went back to that pretty quickly. I think within four or five months, I decided I didn't want to be married anymore. Um, so I moved in with my mom. Um, I'm 20 at this point. And my mom, God bless her, like, again, not super financially stable. Um, but she was like, you have to take some time off. You have done all of these things in the last year. Um, I think within a year of having my daughter, I had dropped out of school, lost my grandfather, who was a really important person to me, um, gotten married, had a baby, and then gotten divorced. And she was just like, all of these major life changes, you got to chill. You got to take a minute. Um, just rest. Don't do anything. So she literally made me sit at home for six months and not work. And that was um, super challenging for me. But uh, got into the car business and this is going to age me as well, but there was a newspaper ad and what it, is that? What, it, what is it, what is what this is newspaper, newspaper thing? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the, it's the thing that lines the bottom of a bird cage, but all right. You, 
newspaper ad that advertised um no experience required unlimited income potential and i was like i am sold i remembered my high school boyfriend's dad how well he did i was like i'm i'm gonna do this this will be fine um and then i was a car salesman so there wow. You go. <laughs> so wow, that's so that's fantastic. I'm sure there's probably a ton of lessons that you learned over that six month span. And shout out to your mother for giving you that reset. I think it's really important yes. that if yeah. people, no matter, I mean, everybody, a lot of people are going through tough times right now, and uh, across the world, there's people that are going through much worse times than than we are, right? Yes. Um, but what it comes down to is you need to take that reset if you can sometimes. So um, that's that's an that's a really huge lesson. So. Um, so let's just talk, you know, really quick about you, you had a really successful job, you know, going into used car sales, you became a finance manager from there, but let's talk, you know, you don't have that college degree. Do you think that somebody in sales needs to have a, is there like, what, what are your views on college in sales? Do you think people need to have a college degree? Do you think it's helps? What, what are your, what are your thoughts there? You obviously had a successful career without that as well. Right. So I'm pretty opinionated about college degrees. And I hope that my husband and my daughter don't hear me say this because he always wrinkles his nose really hard when I speak out about college degrees. But I absolutely don't think that sales professionals in any capacity need college degrees. Um, I think that most career fields do not require college degrees. I think if you can find somebody and train somebody that you know, with the exception of possibly doctors or lawyers or some very specific engineering fields, right. I think most things can be taught and trained on the job. Um, and and I think even like lawyers, like didn't Kim Kardashian do a program in California <laughs> where she trained on the job? Anyway, that's tangent. But no, I don't think a college degree is necessary. And I think that the way that this country makes it feel mandatory to these children um, and opens the federal checkbook for student loans and allows, you know, 18 year olds to sign their name to loans that are going to follow them for the rest of their days. Yep. Um, I think is almost criminal. I think that they don't really know what they're getting into. And it's really, really tragic. My kid will probably go to college because I'm able to send her to college without compromising the rest of her financial future. Right. And I feel like college is important from an experience perspective. I think the, the networking that you do in college is important. I think figuring out how to be outside of your parents' house to do your own laundry and feed yourself is important. I think figuring out how to balance, you know, your school or work responsibilities with your social responsibilities is important but college is not the only way to get those experiences. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's just more of a structured way for people to grow up and also acquire those skills. Because as, as we were mentioning before, you know, I studied exercise science and, you know, looking back, I, of course I would, I don't need those degrees, but there's a lot of experience that I had as a result of that. And there's a lot of lessons outside of just the, what I learned from a, you know, from a textbook perspective in college. So sure. Yes, the skills, you know, and as I mentioned before, I'm all about the transferability of skills. You're going to learn all of these skills that, you know, I, I did research in college. That's helping me in sales because I could quickly see right. what's what's most important about somebody's profile and develop a hypothesis, right? I've, I've done the presentations of professional presentations. So now I won't be afraid to, you know, step out on a stage, hopefully someday and become a motivational speaker. You know, like who knows where all of those experiences are going to come. I know that they're going to help at some point, but you don't know when. So 
even if you're in a job right now, and I, I for those who are, are common listeners to the show, you're probably just like, Tyler, be quiet about this. But <laughs> no matter what you're doing, do it as hard as you can. Because no matter what, even if you have a really bad boss or you're in a really bad situation, number one, find a job that you like and get, get the hell out of there. But also take that experience because no matter what, that's going to help you later on. And you're going to be able to, to look back and reflect on it. So as we're doing right now, right? So, so tell me more about, so you, you, you became the finance manager. So you went from sales to then become a finance manager at the, at the automotive company. Yeah. So um, the sort of the progression, the way it always works at dealerships, you start in sales. And then um, if you're good at sales and good with people, but not too good at sales, like they don't ever want to promote their absolute best rock star salesman because then they would be losing their absolute best rock star salesman. Um, so you need to make sure that they um, think you're smart enough to do the next job, but they're not going to be losing the, the best person on the floor. Um, so I only sold cars for about two years. Um, my husband was also in the car business and he used to joke that that transitioning so quickly from sales to finances what made me dislike the job so much because I didn't have to like toil and struggle for 10 years to get there. It happened too quickly, but that's, that's my journey. That's how it happened. So, um, sold cars for two years. I was in finance for the next seven. Um, and that's the people who it's still a sales role, right? You, I don't, now everybody buys cars online for the most part, but generally back then you would spend a couple hours with the salesperson picking out the car and negotiating the price and all of that stuff. And then the finance manager's job is to build that same amount of rapport that you just have with the salesperson in two hours and take your payment up another 50 to $75 a month for stuff you can't see, the extended warranties and the gap insurance and all of that. Um, so it's still definitely a sales role. It's not just an administrative thing. Um, and then my last three years in the business, I was the general sales manager, which had me responsible for the salespeople, the finance managers, the um, sales managers, internet, all of that stuff. Everyone, th this is just a huge lesson is that Ariel did not have a college degree with this. So, so no matter what, make sure that if you don't have a college degree, that's okay. And you could go ahead and you could still have a really successful career. So, okay. So now moving forward throughout, throughout your career, as you mentioned before, you mentioned being a, a general sales manager, you were in the finance directing. What's your biggest lesson from being in the automotive sales industry that you're currently using everywhere else in your life today? So, and it all goes back to relationship building, just like you said about that when I was moving around as a new kid every year, that you focus on building and maintaining relationships with your clients um, as part of the reason that, you know, I was drained. So I wanted to step out of the automotive industry, but that was what I was doing. I love how you talk about the transferability of skills because I really had to rack my brain like, okay, well, here's, you know, parts A, B, and C that I really love about my job. Where can I apply those same skill sets? Um, and I just adored my clients. I didn't really love the managing of the other people like the salespeople and the other sales managers, that wasn't my thing. I, I didn't really enjoy that. Um, but I loved the relationship with the clients. And so I sort of took that to a field that allows me to have a more longer term relationship with the clients versus the, um, the previous, you know, car business was more transactional. So it's something where I get to build a partnership um, and go from there as a lifetime thing. 
And I'm sure that was probably helpful as well. Not being the quote unquote salesperson, you weren't trying to pull one over on somebody. Somebody probably trusted that the finance person because they're, they have our best interest in place instead of that shifty, shady automotive salesperson, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's so fantastic. So where in this journey, so overall you're, you're in the finance industry or you're, yeah, you were in the finance with, with cars. Where does LinkedIn and where does your personal brand come into this story? So I have the best timing known to man. um, And I decided to step away from the car business. Uh, My last day was Christmas Eve of 2019. I started a new career um, in January of 2020. But it's the kind of career where it takes a couple of months to really get started. So did not have um, the ability to really do much until we were smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. Um, May of 2020. (laughs) And so LinkedIn, I knew was going to be very important, pretty critical in building this new business. Um, And it has been life changing. It's amazing um, the results from it, but it it took time to figure it out. I definitely did it the, um, what I call the icky way for a few months to to get started where I was sending 100 connection requests a day and sending out sort of salesy or not salesy, but sending out DMs, just introducing myself to people who could have cared less who I was and all that kind of stuff. But finally, when that light switch went off that like people are not responding to this kind of messaging because this messaging is not who I am. And I figured out that it was most important to just show up as exactly who I am. And and there are going to be people, you know, you joked about my um, certified emoji utilization specialist designation I gave myself and I take that very seriously and jokingly but um you know somebody in my industry told me when I was first getting started on LinkedIn they're like you would love what you're doing here but you know just respectfully I don't think that emojis on a professional platform is a good idea and I absolutely respected their opinion but in my thought process if emojis are a turnoff to somebody there's going to be a hundred other things about my personality that's going to rub them the wrong way. (laughs) So I would rather put myself out there, allow people to self-select out of my universe. If they're not a good fit, um, that means they wouldn't be good friends, good clients, good partners, whatever. Um, I'd rather get that out of the way up front than pretend to be something I'm not and find out later um, that it's not a great match. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's just like one of the sales 101 of just getting to the truth. Uh, and and also knowing that not every everybody's a good fit, not every situation is great. And and kudos to you for not folding to you could have very easily just been that cookie cutter mold. This is I'm going to stay in my little lane, but you decided not to do that. And that's what makes you not just another boring LinkedIn coach, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And that and the coaching thing and it's so funny there um and I know I I don't want to talk like down about everybody that has side hustles because there are a lot of people out there with amazing things going on and they will, I'm sure with their passion and drive, they will be full-time things at some point. That's not my deal. Like the, the LinkedIn coaching is something I say that I moonlight on nights and weekends as a LinkedIn coach. Um, But it's not a passion for me. It's something really that I had to put in place because I was doing it a lot for free. Um, For months and months and months, I would have people like, let me pick your brain. They would set meetings um, and I would spend, you know, 30 minutes to an hour talking to people and they were just wanting to know about LinkedIn. Um, And there's a couple of reasons that that, you know, one, it's not scalable from a time 
perspective. Like I do not have unlimited time resources. So I had to be a little bit more respectful of my schedule that way. But also people really don't value free advice. So you can talk to your blue in the face and tell people all the things that you've learned and, um, you know, they're coming to you because they want your opinion. They're curious how you did it or whatever, but then they don't implement the things that you recommend or that you say got you to where you are. So, um, so I quit giving advice for free. I have a thing that like, if somebody asks me a question, I will absolutely, if I can answer it in a couple of minutes or a couple of sentences, a hundred percent, I will answer it every time. Um, but otherwise it's paid sort of consultations. And so that's where the LinkedIn coaching came from. It's not like I was super, I'm very passionate about LinkedIn, but not super passionate about the coaching end of it. Um, it just was more out of necessity to protect my time <laughs> more than anything. Interesting. And, and where do you get to that point where you're like, all right, I have some people reaching out to me looking for advice, wanting to pick my brain. How do you, how do you take that transition for those who may have a, a side hustle or somebody who's interested in, in that type of, you know, they have a, an expertise or something that they would like to share with other people, but want to start getting paid for that. How would somebody take the step of this is what's happening to, okay, well, here's how I'm going to try to make money doing it. I will tell you, I'm would have never in a million years, I'm big on sort of having an advisory board or a group of friends that support you. And um, I also am a Tony Robbins nerd and he always talks about, you know, you success leaves clues. And so connect yourself with people who have been where you wanna go, follow and observe what they're doing. Uh, and then also allow yourself to be that person for the next generation. So, you know, it works in both directions, but you mentioned Joel Lougey earlier, one of my dearest friends. We've been connected since I hit 2,000 followers. I think January of 2021 is when we hooked up and started clubhousing together. Um, but I had a group of friends that we clubhoused with. Shout out Leah Turner, incredible human. Um, Liam Darmody, Rich Cardona was part of that group. Um, just some really absolutely incredible people that when I was like little baby small potatoes on LinkedIn really made me feel seen and heard and respected as part of that community um, and supported me privately and saying you really need to quit talking to people for free you you know too much you do too much just you have um, valid thoughts that are worth money um, and that's where it came from. Wow. That's amazing. And I think it's really important. It sounds like you surround yourself with other, I mean, I, and I know some of those people I've heard names of the others. Um, it sounds like you're surrounding yourself with incredible people who are just going to, you know, the boats ride with the tides, right? What's your biggest, what's your biggest lesson around finding those people that, that tribe or that, that, um, I was going to say tribe of mentors. That's, that's not that, correct, but exactly. I mean that I say all the time, I'm like, your vibe attracts your tribe. The way that you put yourself out there, the way that you show up, there's a certain magnetism that happens. And so if you show up consistently, the right people will come into your life and just keeping very cognizant of the fact that the people you surround yourselves with are going to have the most impact on where you go from here. You know, if the people you're surrounding yourselves with are always negative and complaining and thinking about how things can't be done and how bad the world is, then that's probably how you're going to feel about things. But if the people that you surround yourself with are overwhelmingly positive and sort of focus on lifting each other up, that is a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have a ton of, of mentors as well who, who I rely on or have that, that personal board of directors, I guess, um, you know, you have to run yourself 
like you're running your own business. Your life is a business, right? You need to make sure that you have the time management. You need to make sure you're having good communication, building great relationships with people. Um, and obviously LinkedIn is a fantastic way to do that. So, all right. So now let's dive in a little bit further to into the, the LinkedIn sphere. So I loved on your profile, you mentioned that you were able to build this business with close to zero cold calls or pitching. To me, it yeah. sounds like you're able to um, create your profile to where it's almost more of an inbound engine versus having to go outbound. With this great resignation, and even including myself, I, I haven't updated my LinkedIn profile since I created, uh, since I, I went to Dooley. So shame on me, but I think this could be a good teaching lesson as well. So now have an old, older LinkedIn profile picture. I, I have to update my my info. Where should I start with this whole situation? What What would you recommend? So I would say, I mean, and you're not starting from scratch either. So if you're, you know, if you have an older profile and you're starting from scratch from an engagement or content creation standpoint, I do say that it's important to sort of polish your profile where you have, you know, a current picture. Um, guys don't like to smile too much. I would definitely say it's important to have a smile in your profile picture. It just makes you easier to trust and more relatable. Um, cover photos are a big thing. You can do one super easy on Canva. I always joke, I'm like, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, <laughs> Leah actually made the one that I have currently, but I have done them in the past. So, um, but then focus on your headline. It's probably the most important piece of real estate, the um, characters that show up directly underneath your name. Um, the first 45 to 50 characters are going to be visible everywhere you post or comment. And so those are the words that are going to drive people to view your profile. Um, and the profile views are, you know, think of that as people coming to look at your webpage. So once you have a good headline established and it should be you know not just account executive at Dooley or whatever like and you have the added advantage everybody knows Dooley everybody loves Dooley so having that company brand recognition is huge um but there needs to be something that makes Tyler special and stand out right. um don't love using the word helping I feel like that kind of drowns in the sea of other million profiles that say that they're helping um but in terms of redoing your about section, I'm a big fan. And mine is not a great example of this because I have certain rules I have to play by in my about section. But um, I'm, I like for you to talk about what you do, why you do it, how you do it. So like who you work with or how you help them. Um, and then have a little personal blurb in there. Talk about the fact that you just had a little baby and you have a two-year-old at home. Like I think that um, there's a lot to be said for having something relatable that humanizes you in that about section. Um, people forget to write it like a post. The about section has those same first three lines where you have to click see more to get people to read on. So make sure that there's something sort of interesting in the beginning to make people click that see more button. Um, and then another thing I see people forget a lot is some kind of call to action. When they get to the bottom of your profile, is it just like, okay, well, good to know. Um, you know, give them some sort of instruction, email me for more information about this offer that I have, or text me if you're curious about whatever, um, just leave it open, but have there be some sort of next step, even if it's just like, follow me for content about blah, 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 blah. Um, that's my, my two cents there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's so important too. I think I'd love the, the fact that you mentioned, I think just making it more personal. I've done a little bit more of that of like, what kind of lessons has parenting taught me? Oh my God. 
in my professional life. And, and it's crazy. Like you post something like that at like 10 o'clock at night and like you wake up and there's like way more likes or way more comments than you typically would have ever had. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? Um, so it's really cool. And like, uh, I, I think I need to add a little bit more about that. Obviously, I know like you put in there that you you have a Yorkie poo and like drinking different yes. types of wine, right? <laughs> then somebody who has a Yorkie, you could get a, cu- a customer who also has a Yorkie poo who, or who also, you know, isn't opposed to different kinds of wine. And that's right. a connection point right there. You're pretty much asking those people to engage with you on yeah. that by you putting it out there, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Anything yes. that sort of humanizes you and makes you, gives just a touch point for conversation. And that's, because I try to, I'm really slack about it. I I very much try to send a DM to every new connection that I have. Um, but again, I'm really slack about it. So if we've connected recently and I haven't sent one and you're out there listening, I'm sorry. Um, but you'll go to people's profiles and try to find something. You know, if the profile is nothing but led very successful campaign in the XQR, whatever, it makes it hard to pick out a detail to send a personalized direct message to say, you know, Hey, noticed that you blah, 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 blah. That's fantastic. You know, it just, it helps to have something unique and personal in there. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I love that advice as well. Something that I I've done recently as well um, is anytime that I'm trying to reach out to somebody, I will put, I will write a personalized note saying, Hey, Ariel, thank you so much for liking my post on Jake Dunlap's podcast. Did you get a chance to check that out? I'm happy to share the link. So then later on, if say, say down the road, six, 12 months, you're trying to, to work with that company specifically and you have that connection, you have that point to, to jump off of, right? Instead, I could just be connected to that person and have no clue why we even connected. It seems disingenuous when you're trying to reach out with some type of ask after that. At least you could start with, hey, did you, were you able to check out any more shows? Oh, by the way, I had a quick favor you know, would you happen to be able to tell me X, Y, and Z? So I think that that's really important. The other thing that I like doing as well, and I don't know if you do this, um, anytime somebody sends me a a connection request without an invite, I'll say, hey, thank you so much for the connection request. I'm genuinely curious about how people or what people, what attracts people to my profile. Would you have, would you be willing to share um, what that was so that I could help optimize that or, or, you know, pretty much just asking why they wanted to connect? That's your own research and development of what's working, right? That's a really great idea. I don't, I'm, I'm like the least strategic LinkedIn strategy person ever. Um, I also have a pretty open connection policy. Like I will literally connect with anybody that's in the United States because I can work with anybody that's in the United States and you don't have to be a super active LinkedIn person to make yourself a great client for me. Um, but anybody that's outside the United States, my only qualification is that they are an active and contributing member of the LinkedIn community. So if they have no comments, no content, anything like that, then I don't accept because there's no reason for us to, um, but no, asking what drew them to connect or what inspired them would be um, good research. I don't and, and, and I'll tell you as well, and I could send it to you as well. I might, might have a template that I use for everybody. Yeah. So don't, <laughs> t- don't tell anybody. So if they get a, a, the question that, um, but really, I mean, it, it, it's true, even if it is canned or not, I mean, it's, it's genuine. It's, I really want to try to make myself better for myself and for the community that I'm trying to surround myself with and not just have those empty connections who aren't right. engaging with things. I see, see, I see people who have 2000 LinkedIn connections that are getting a ton more likes than somebody who has 60,000 because they're just empty. I don't want to say empty shells, but they just don't 
I would rather have, I'm always been about impact over impressions. And I would rather help one person really, really well than have a hundred likes on something and have no actionable tips from that as well. I tell people all the time. And especially if I'm like in a group setting, because I think people have a tendency, we all have this little defeatist that lives inside us, right? That makes it super easy to look at somebody and be like, oh, well, obviously it's easy for them because they've got, you know, I think I'm at 30,000 followers right now. So of course she easy for her to say. Um, but hold on, time out. You said 30,000 followers, but you just told me a couple minutes ago that at the beginning of 2020 or 2021, you only had like 3000, right? That's what I was going to say. I started 2021 with 2000 followers. Um, and I used to be so proud of my like small, but mighty network. So my engagement percentages that I track through shield, um, as far as average comments and things like that have changed an inch, like not hardly at all, um, growing from 2000 to 30,000 followers, because along the way I've just picked up, you know, you, you can't control who follows you. So I can control who I connect with, but I can't control who follows me. So along the way I've picked up a lot of disengaged, unengaged, I don't know, but either way, um, (laughs) picked up a lot of people that don't necessarily engage with my content. And so it, you're absolutely right that the size of your community doesn't so much matter as the quality of the people and, you know, the way that they interact with you. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And I need to start doing a better, you know, it's LinkedIn for me, obviously I'm, I'm at almost, almost 4,000 um, connections. So I'm excited to continue to, to grow that. I'm, I am proud of my, the, the smaller connections now, but obviously in the, uh, you know, in the stages of wanting to, to grow that more. Um, but, but really interesting, you know, I just, I think to your point of trying to measure those things and be really intentional about what you're doing. Um, but now I want to dive in. I know we're, we're rolling up pretty quickly on time. Really just want to talk quickly around the personal brand versus company brand. And I know that there's some companies out there who don't, you know, obviously some industries, you know, you need to be sheltered, I guess, or, or a little bit more conscious of the stuff that you're sharing, but there's some companies who just don't want their company to have a personal brand. What is the best piece of advice around trying to, um, you know, or at least I, I'm a big believer that personal brands help ride, uh, ride the tide rise for the company brand. What's your thought on personal brand versus the company brand situation where people don't want people posting as much? Yeah. So my two cents on that um, is that for any individual listening is that you're a hundred percent in charge and own your personal brand. So obviously your company um, has the ability to put limits on what you say and how you say it. But if you establish yourself in a way that can do nothing but serve dividends for you personally and drive business to your company. Um, If you're in a leadership position with a company that, and I joked about it earlier, everybody knows who Dooley is and what Dooley does. Like the the absolute advantage um, that salespeople have in a company that has that name recognition where you've got the people that are involved. And I think it starts at the top. And I think that social media just has to get more social. And I think a lot of companies are scared of that. But the companies that I'm able to identify with and really fall in love with on LinkedIn are people that at every level, you know, they've got executives that are posting content, they've got their business pages sharing content that is also fun and unique. 
Um, you can't get there anymore with just that canned, boring sort of corporate content. You have to find a way to be unique and different. And if you're not empowering your people to have that unique voice of their own, it's just like, gosh, who is that quote that says train your people well enough so that they can leave and treat them well enough so that they don't want to? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's Richard Branson or somebody. Yeah. I think it's somebody it's really somebody like that. But yeah. so it's it's that same thing, like enable your people to build a personal brand because it helps you too, right? Just like training your people well helps you and your business and then treat them well enough so that they don't want to use their personal brand to leave and find another job. That's right. And, and that's so funny when, when you say that as well, there's another similar line as well of like, you know, what happens if we train these, like, we don't want to train our employees because we don't want them to just up and leave then. They said, then but what happens if they stick around? Then they're not trained, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Well, this has been so fantastic, Ariel. I have two uh, rapid fire questions that I like to ask every guest on the show. Okay. Number one, first and foremost, you're a parent. What is your best piece of parenting advice? My best piece of parenting advice is to not stress out about anything too much. Everything feels very heavy and significant when you're a parent. Like you've got to protect your kids from any and everything that could ever go wrong for them. Um, and I am learning now as mine is, you know, about to leave the nest that it's just not that serious, that sometimes those struggles and things in life that we go through help to make us who we are. So don't, uh, don't try to prevent your kids from ever struggling. Yes, that's fantastic. Let your kids fail, but don't let them fail too much, right? There's a, right. There's a, a healthy- There's healthy, a balance. <laughs> exactly. All right, last question I ask every single guest on the show. If you're teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? I would teach networking 101. I think that networking is the root of every successful person, whether it's just knowing how to speak to people and build relationships that way. Um, but good- Good networking skills get you good jobs. It allows you to sell better, allows you to maintain your client relationships better. It allows you to have better interpersonal relationships on um, with your family. I mean, I think I think that networking is key to just about everything. Yeah, and you got you got an MBA pretty much in high school <laughs> with building relationships on that course. So I would absolutely subscribe to that when you started as well. Thank you so much. Where could everybody learn about you and everything else you have going on? So I spend entirely too much time on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Um, Ariel Lee with a unicorn emoji in front of my name. I'm pretty easy to find bright pink blazer. Um, I do have a website, linkedinariel.com, but I'm really bad about maintaining it. So it may not even still be there. I should go check. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Tyler, thank you. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.